Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Tony Shiloh. Tony Shiloh is the author of the book, In Search of a Prince. Do you want to be a princess? I'll tell you what, our main character in this book doesn't quite know if she wants to be a princess or not. I can't wait to delve into this story and tell you all about it. We want to thank you all for your support of my newest release, a match for Bernadette. It's available exclusively on Amazon.com. We have been showcasing Christian authors for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Tony Shiloh. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. I'm excited because I love this book. It's so scrumptious. It's just decadent, royal romance that most of us love to read about. But I do love its modern take as well as some of the other unique takes on this story. So I can't wait to delve into it. But go ahead, let people know who you are in your own words. Of course, I'd be happy to. I'm Tony Shiloh. I'm a Christian uh, contemporary romance writer. I've been doing this for about six years now. Um, it really, I didn't realize it has been a few years. And what I love to do is include grace in my stories, always a redemptive arc somewhere so that we can just see the beauty of God um, when he moves in our lives and changes us from heart out and to see the couple overcome adversity, whether it's outside forces, inside forces, whatever it may be, and always telling the story from an African-American point of view. And I think that's the uniqueness of this particular story is that you do see it from an African heritage point of view, but you also do have the African-American point of view as well, because there are two different cultures colliding together in this story. And I love the fact that we do have stories And more and more, these type of stories are being promoted. So really glad you're taking on that mantle and that banner in such a good way. Like I said before, I love the scrumptiousness of this book. I love the royal details. I love the scenery. I even love the intriguing internal politics of the kingdom, the family drama, and our main character who is just to die for. I just love everything about this book. But I have to ask you, where did the idea for this particular story come from? So I've always loved royal stories um, ever since I was a young girl, and none of them ever looked like me. Fast forward and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry marry, and everyone starts whispering about, oh, we have a black princess. 
we have an American princess. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be amazing if you could actually have a story featuring a black princess? And I was talking to my friend about it and she's like, well, you could write it. And I was thinking, I don't really have time. I've got all these other stories running around in my brain. Um, but then I had an opportunity to pitch an idea to Bethany House. And at the time, I didn't have anything written that I could pitch. So I was like, well, I'm just going to have to go with an idea. What can I think of? And I was like, princess, princess was like screaming in my head. And so I brainstormed a little, I, a little bit um, other than having, you know, princess idea as my all-encompassing pitch. And I created Brielle's World. And I pitched the idea and they liked it. They went in to read more and I was like, okay, now I have to write, I have to write this story. So it kind of all happened organically, but a little bit of work put it into it. And that's how I came up with the idea. When selecting the African culture that you were going to reflect on this story, what was your prototype or your source to piggyback on? So I ended up, my first thought was immediately to go to the West African portion of Africa. You know, Africa's so vast and every different portion tells a different story. But I've always kind of identified with that West African side a little bit more. I think because as an American with an African heritage, you assume that you're going to come from that location, um, considering where the slaves were taken from. And then I did a ancestry um, test. And sure enough, um, West African, that heritage was really high on my DNA. And furthermore, Nigeria was even higher within the West African makeup. So I thought it would be awesome if I could, you know, research my history, kind of imagine what it would be like to know that you are African-American woman, but not know exactly where you came from. And so Brielle kind of, her journey is a little bit of my journey and, you know, discovering about where you could have possibly came from in Africa and what it would be like to literally see it and know that was the place you came from. Having that connection to family and history is so important. I know you follow me on Facebook and you see me post pictures of me and my granny. And since granny passed away, I've been digging into our family archives and finding more and more pictures of family members I did not know. And there's just a sense of loss that you don't know who these people are. And finding out the connection to family, even let's say, Tony, you were to find out that one of your ancestors was, I don't know, a massive bank robber or something. It would still be kind of cool because you could say, oh, we have bank robbers in my family or something like that. Or you have that devil may care attitude embedded in you in some manner. So there really is something to being connected to history. And for a lot of African-Americans, we don't always have that opportunity to connect to our ancestral heritage and culture. Um, Tony, I had a Haitian-American on my show, and he said, you know, I have access to all of my heritage because he was in Haiti and he was able to keep the records from his family but a lot of people don't. And so he would mention how blessed he was to have that. And that's reflected in this book, In Search of a Prince, which is written by you, available, available from Bethany House. Do you think people should try to find the connection to their family heritage? And why do you think that's important? 
I definitely think think that everyone is different. So I really wouldn't blanket a yes or no. However, like you said, like knowing where you came from, knowing who makes up part of you, because, you know, your ancestors contributed to your DNA, no matter how far back you go. It's just that sense of connection is feels like home. It feels like people who understand you and knowing whatever their struggles were and um, if they overcame them or if they decided to go on the wrong side of the law, as you put with your bank robber situation, you still find out how you fit in a bigger picture. And I think that we all want to be seen and known. And sometimes the only way you can know yourself and why you do the things you do is to know who you come from. Plus there's the whole health aspect too. Like you find out, oh, we have a history of heart attacks in our family. So make sure I keep healthy so I can stay around a little bit longer. So that type of thing. So yeah, there's a lot going on to being connected to your family culture. So my next question is this. So the language that you have in this story is called Onina. And that language, is that based in another culture's language? Is that a real language? Because like you said earlier, Africa is so vast and there's as many cultures as there is countries and cities and tribes and different things all over the place. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I would love to. Um, I went ahead and I mirrored um, the culture and the language after the Yoruba people in Nigeria. Um, I picked the culture for many different reasons, but mostly it's because I knew in my head where the story had to go, some of the aspects I wanted to include. And I literally just like looked at all a whole list of tribes in Nigeria and um, a brief history about, you know, who they were and why um, they were the way they were. And I picked one I thought fit the idea of the story in my head. Um, and some of the words um, might not be Yoruban. I know I looked at a whole host of languages just because I did want to fictionalize some things um, and I didn't want to insult the tribe and culture by getting things wrong. Um, but they were definitely my model and inspiration for like probably 80, 90 percent of the story. I'm familiar with that tribe, too. And they're a very prominent tribe in West Africa, which is exciting. So, and you know, we, we have a, we actually have a connection, Tony. In one of my books, I have a Yoruba woman who used to be a former Santeria priestess. And then she accepted Christ as a savior. And she tells a story about that. So that's kind of cool, actually. That's awesome. If, if I could tell you this, too, you know, you know, my Wankar. You said it so fast. You, you know, my Wankar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was the one who helped me with that particular story because I had the name wrong. And she was like, is your character Yoruba? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, that's not a Yoruba name. <laughs> so I had to go and. Uh, correct the thing, but it was so funny because it just happened and I was about to publish that book and I would have had that wrong. So I totally understand your concern about keeping it fictional enough to where you don't have to worry about misrepresenting the culture right. incorrectly. And then one thing about this story too, you do have the decadence of the royal palace, but you also mix the real world concerns about infrastructure, about poverty, about the disparity between those who have and those who have not. And I think those are really modern takes on 
the royalty romance category. And it's almost as if you see that royalty does have a duty to provide the people with adequate resources to live under their authority. So what's some of that that's going on in the story that you can incorporate and let our listeners know? Um, You stated it really beautifully. If you are a royal running a country, then my American idealism, I guess, is that everyone under every citizen should be taken care of. That's the reason why you were put in power in the first place. So knowing that that it doesn't always happen, and there are so many countries that have, you know, that huge gap between wealth and not, I wanted to explore that. And I also wanted to bring a little bit of the things I studied and researched when I was building the island that I know that goes on in some of the African countries. Um, that some people don't have, you know, power, they don't have housing, they don't have food. And also, you know, adding another layer, um, Brielle is a Christian. So that too, like, we're told to love our neighbor, and we're told to be the hands and feet of Christ and, you know, to take care of widows and orphans. And if we're supposed to be a blessing to others, what does that look like? And so I just wanted to explore, you know, her tension and realizing how she's super rich and moving out of the class she was in. But now she sees people who weren't even in the class she was to start with. And you put it on the nail. I can't think of a better way to say it at all. So now we want to get into Brielle's journey. And I'll give you a chance to go ahead and just give us a quick snippet of what's going on in the story. Sure. So Brielle Adebayo lives in New York, is a eighth grade civics teacher, and she thinks that her life is pretty normal. Um, only until her mom sits her down and says, actually, you're a princess, and the king, your grandfather, is dying, and since her father had already passed before she was born, she's the next in line for the throne. And she's literally thrown into a whirlwind of who am I? Am I supposed to leave these people? How can I leave these people not knowing anything about them up until the point when the mom drops the bombshell? Like her inadequacies and securities, all of that comes through. Um, but there's twists that the royal council has for her um, if she does decide to take up the mantle to become the next ruler, they require her to be married as well. And so now she's got to, she has to deal with the misogynistic side um, as she sees that. Does she buck the system or does she submit to their will, if you, uh, if you may? And personally, I was telling Tony while I was live reading with, with her on um, Facebook, I said, I personally would not have minded finding out that I am a princess. It would not bother me in the least, okay? But I love that you put a really realistic viewpoint on it because she's very upset because she did not know this. And what starts to happen with Bree is that she becomes really bitter towards her mom. And there's a cautionary tale with that because this bitterness is so rampant that it's making it hard for her to talk to her mom even. 
So let's talk about what's going on in Brielle's head and what her issue is with her mom. Right. So it's been her and her mom since day one. They're obviously they have a mother daughter relationship, but they also have a deeper friendship. And to find out that her mother never told her she was a princess, she cannot reconcile that with what she's known of her mom. She's known her mom to be truthful and, you know, her caretaker and caregiver and sacrificing all these things to make sure that Brie has a life um, she grew up when, only to discover that some of those things she thought were extra special because they probably cost a fortune paid for by her grandfather, the king. And this was kept from her. So she can't understand why her mom would do it. And she can't understand how she could ever look at her mom the same way, feeling as betrayed as she does. And it just eats at her in every little thing because the things she would normally call her mom and ask for advice, why would she call someone who has lied to her, who has hidden part of her heritage, who has kept her from her father's side of family that she could have, um, you know, made real bonds with and also been able to ask them about her father and what he was like, things that have always been questions in her mind. Now she she never got the answer to, and she feels that hurt deeply. Another thing, too, is that because her mom decided to do this, it actually affected a relationship. And a lot of times we are not always aware that the decisions we make today can affect the future. And in this case, we see it loud and clear of how her mom's decision to keep this from her, even though she felt she had a good reason, effectively affected her relationship. So there's a lot going on to this story. It's not just about the royal romantic element of the story. It's also about the family element. Because one thing about royalty, particularly for those of us in the West who are familiar in some way with the monarchy, it's a family affair, you know. And there's a scene in the story where she meets her family. And you can, I was walking with her when she went into the dining room where the king and her family were taken. And you can just feel the tension in the room. Her and her best friend go in there and you're like, this is going to be good. And it turned out that Tony did not disappoint. I won't tell you what happened, but you're definitely going to get a aha moment as well as, oh my gosh, did she really just do that? So lots of good things are going on in this story. Another thing I like about it is the faith element. The faith element is so vibrant in this story because here she is being told you are a princess and you may have to run the country. And you realize that the people are depending on you a certain way with their best interest at heart. That's a massive, massive undertaking. And it kind of takes the fantasy of being a princess away and puts into reality. Was that from watching the whole fiasco with Harry and Mark and Meghan when they were going through their whole thing about the royal family? Actually, it wasn't. Um, that has definitely been an uh, interesting parallel to draw from. But I think a lot of it was me putting myself in Bree's shoes. How would I feel knowing that I was 
I was a teacher and now you want me to run a country. Um, I would feel so inadequate, especially not knowing the um, Lauren background. Like I'm from America. Like I grew up as an American, even though I'm half African. And I just basically asked, like, how would you feel about that? How would I feel about that? Um, that tension, um, I think, is the reality question. Because like you said, like someone telling you you're a princess, the first thing you think of is the, the monetary benefits. I'm never going to be poor again. Like, I'll probably have the great, the best fashion. Like, people will clamor for my attention. Like, you think that's all good. And then you find out, well, no, now you have a duty to people who are looking up to you. Now you have to, you know, participate in the government, all of these things. And I know myself, I would probably feel overwhelmed. And that's where I have a lot of her faith questions start to come in and start to play. So we could just see like, well, realistically, how would someone walk that out? I like it too, that you do intersperse some of the more somber notes of the colonial history of the kingdom. And it's important because if you don't know the past, you can't know what you can do for the future. And you, we were talking before we started the broadcast today, just about the history of that time and how the various Western countries enslaved people in these areas. But we look up now and we can see that just because it started there, it doesn't end there. When we look at the kingdom, we see this rich, vibrant history, despite of its darker past. So I really like that aspect of the story as well. Now, in the few moments that we have left, Tony, I do want you to tell us, is there more that we can look forward to in this kingdom? Is there another book in the series? Do you have any other plans, projects? Tell us a little about that. I would be happy to. Um, it's not considered a series um, in search of a prince. It's considered a standalone novel. However, her best friend, Iris, does get her own story. It's called To Win a Prince, and it will be releasing in September. I'm super excited about Iris' story. I just, she was a character that I loved writing. And when I began to write her own story, I just fell in love with her as a person all over again. And I was like, yes, everyone needs an iris in their life. And I might also have a secret project I'm not ready to share where I will be stepping back into the country once more for another world being romance. And we all love royalty romances. There's something about that whole aspect of the fantasy of royalty that I think we all love, particularly here in America. Because we don't have a monarchy, we're not part of a commonwealth. It's very nebulous to grasp it. And so we think, oh, I'm going to be a princess. So I have people bowing to me and calling me your excellency or something like that. And it was so funny. I had a South African guy say, Americans have no idea how to address the monarchy. <laughs> so he said, you don't use the term your excellency or your highness for different mon um, people of the monarchy. If you have the queen, it's her majesty. If you have the princesses, her excellency. If it's so-and-so, it's something else. So even those nuances, we don't have those nuances. And so we mess it up <laughs> anytime because we just think, oh, every monarchy is our idea of what a monarchy is. So yeah. 
I love the whole aspect of this story. Like I said, it's a scrumptious story. You are knee deep in the royal aspect of it, but it's not so fantastical that it doesn't have the realism there. And our characters are well-developed. They have meat to their bones. They are distinct and lots of good things are happening in this story. So make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy of In Search of a Prince, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Now, Tony, I always use this opportunity for our guests to encourage our aspiring authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So go ahead and encourage our authors out there today. I would love to. If you are a beginner author or one who is still too terrified to actually pick up the pen and write, I want you to know that the world needs your stories. We are all shaped so differently and we all have different backgrounds and we have all been shaped by different experiences and you bring those things to your writing. So holding back your gifts is basically holding back something special that the world needs. We need another perspective and we need some, another person to cheer on. So join the fray. Um, you'll love it. You won't regret it. Tony, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And we were talking today to Tony Shiro. She is the author of the book, In Search of a Prince, available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. If you love royal romances, if you love decadent settings and scenery, if you love a romance that is not just a romance, but also really good fiction, this is the book for you. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy of In Search of a Prince today. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.